Welcome, everyone. So we're almost at Thanksgiving, and, and I realized as I was working on my talk that uh, I was thinking I was saving my Thanksgiving joke until the gratitude service, but then I went, wait a minute. I mean, a lot of these people will be there, but some of them won't. So uh, I moved it up. You get the Thanksgiving joke right now. All right. So a busy single mom invited quite a few guests over for Thanksgiving dinner. And she'd honestly, she'd been swamped all week at work, uh, plus buying food, cleaning the house, you know, make everything perfect. But she also thought it would be awfully sweet if her daughter blessed the meal. So she'd given her several examples of how to go about saying grace. And throughout the week, she gave a chance for her daughter to practice and everything seemed in readiness. So the Thanksgiving dinner arrived. The table set, the many people were seated, and she asked her daughter to say grace. After a little bit of a pause, but mommy, I forget what to say, the girl whispered. Her mom whispered right back, just say what you've heard mommy say all week, you know. (laughs) You know, dear God. And so the girl brightened right up and nodded and bowed her head. Dear God, why did I invite all these people? (laughs) Yeah, you, you can tell where that one was headed, I know, yeah. You've been there with kids, haven't you? All right, so this entire month, we're talking about unity. We're ta- talking about the connectedness of all people and, and all things. Really, the entire universe, as, as both Holly Lupe talked about in her song, as well as Nancy in her prayer, everything is connected. So i got to throw out the question then. Why so often do I feel disconnected? If the universe is one people, why now and then do I feel so much loneliness? If the universe is as as close together, like, like, um, I'm trying to remember, I think last week I said it's like we're all laid end to end, and that got a giggle out of a few people. But but do you know what I mean? It's like we really are uniform in this world in terms of accessing everything that we need, and yet why so often do I feel that I'm alone? If, If in the science of mind, as we say, that there's only one mind and mind is a part of it, why do I feel so stupid sometimes? Do you know what I mean? We have access to everything, and yet right there in the middle of it all, don't we feel like, sometimes anyway, that we're isolated, that we're alone, in the, in the midst of plenty, if you, if you want to think of it that way, there we are going solo. Well, I want to talk a little bit about that today, and, and the good news is, after I've, you know, painted a little bit of a bleak picture here, the good news is I have, I think, some tools for us to get through those times when we are having those kind of feelings. But first, I want to spend just a minute kind of explaining it, I think, because I believe that we largely do it to ourselves. And part of it, I think, is this unique culture even that we call American society. Uh, you know, if you, if you hearkened back, a, um, I don't know, even a couple hundred years ago, life here in America, and of course in most of the world, would be very different, right? We wouldn't, most of us, be living in individual houses and apartments. Um, we wouldn't be uh, going to work somewhere and, and earning money and then using that money to, to buy the things we need. Most of us would be in some kind of communal living situation where right from the get-go, there would be more people in our life, a, a larger extended family. It, it's no more when you get old, right? You, you have to move into the retirement home. Well, you'd go back to live with your kids, 
right? And in fact, your kids may have never even left the nest to begin with, right? I mean, that was the time of, of extended families, you know? The idea that aunts and uncles and grandparents and, and everybody might pool their resources into some kind of a living situation. And, and as far as, uh, a, a, as making your way in the world, it wouldn't have been unusual. Uh, you know, maybe your family was known for the apple orchard that you have, and across the town was the blacksmith, and there, there'd be no sense of, of really separation in a, in a way because you know that if you need blacksmith's work, well, that's where you go. And they knew that when they needed apples, do you know what I mean? Life is so different today. Almost by design, almost by purpose, if you will, we have decided we each have to be the, uh, the king of our own castle. We have to be the, the woman or the man that does everything. We have to be completely self-sufficient and completely independent. I want to suggest today that that has come with a cost. If really we're going to be beholden to no one, if really we are going to get everything we need in this life on, on our own two feet with our own merits, we're sort of setting ourselves up in a way to experience a greater degree of aloneness as well. And I think, uh, I think back to when my mom first moved up to Portland uh, uh, in her later years, you know, she'd lived by herself for, um, gosh, maybe 25 years. It was quite an adjustment living with someone again. We had some times together till we got used to the idea of living together once again. Well, I want to suggest that there are maybe three areas that we can do a little work so that these feelings that come and go of aloneness, of separation, of being distant from the, the people and the things we love, how we can get that back in our life. Um, so first of all, I want to talk a little bit about shared resources. Now, here's also a concept that's kind of gone by the wayside. Even when I was growing up, there was generally one guy on the block that had all the tools. Do you know what I mean? The, those of you who like to do handiwork around the house, right? There was that guy that had the tools. And there was the other guy that knew how to fix cars. And then on the women's side of things, and uh, pardon me for being sexist, I know we're blending all that, we're blending all that, but, but back in the 50s we weren't. Back in the 50s there was the, the one mom that really knew all the ins and outs of the PTA and all that, and the other moms went to her for advice. Do you know what I mean? We used our communities as a community resource. I want to ask a question right now. Who in the room actually even knows all of the neighbors around your current house or apartment. A few, okay, actually more than a few, good for you. You are a vanishing breed. <laughs> not only do we not use our neighborhood anymore as a resource, it, well, and when I think of my neighborhood when I was growing up, oh my, what a resource, because together the families raised all the kids kind of in one big bunch too, right? Now, would you even think that one of your neighbors might take care of the neighborhood's kids for the day? It's like, oh no. <laughs> so I think, I think that in our efforts to be self-sufficient, in our efforts to be independent, we may have also given up some of this idea of shared responsibility and also shared wealth. Now we think, by gosh, if we're going to do that thing, I have to figure out how to do it myself or to raise enough money to pay someone to do it. But it isn't that idea of we're all in this together. We'll figure it out. 
It's not the idea anymore of, 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 you know, between the guys on this block, I bet we can get that car fixed. Or, or between the, the, the women in, in my circle of friends, we'll know how to do that. Not so much anymore. So with our independence, with our wanting to stand on our own two feet, with our, our wanting to be separate, we're separate. And so it may take us a little effort to get back on track. And so with the idea of shared resources, again, I'm thinking back to when my mom first in and came to live with me again. Well, here we were, uh, two adults with two cars in one house. And I remember the first time her insurance came due, I said, you know, we ought to get rid of one of these cars. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You would have thought I would have said, you know, let's just go out and kill a baby or something. It was like it represented a huge, sacred kind of thing to her. It represented freedom. It represented independence. It represented all kinds of things. And we had to really have a long talk about this. And you know what it finally took? Her name had to be on the title of the, of the car we were going to share. Now, this is my mom and me, and most of you know me. It's like it wasn't going to be about who owns the car. In fact, I remember when we had our first discussion about it, I said, other than Sunday morning, you can use it whenever you want, but I, I kind of need to use it on Sunday morning. And you can, in fact, you can come along if you want. We'll use it together. But I think the idea had been bred into her, really, that independence meant solitary ownership of things, that I need to be in control of my own, you know, how I get places, how I pay for groceries, everything. And so it was a huge learning curve again, once again, to kind of pull people's resources together, even though it was just the two of us. Even though, in theory, we already had that special family relationship, the idea of us kind of being in it together was initially a foreign thing for her, and me too to some degree. We need to be in this together. Do you get that? If we want to feel the love of the other people on this planet, if we want to sense that we're not alone, if we want that heartfelt knowledge that we're in this together, we need to be in this together. We need to find ways of being no longer independent or dependent, but interdependent. Now, this is a little tricky, I know. We're past the day when, I mean, there really was a day when I would have gone to Star's house because I, I, I know between she and Adam, they can fix the car and do a lot of things that I don't know how to do. And, 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 and we're, we're kind of we're beyond the day where I, I'd go visit someone else because they have the apple orchard and I'm going to need some in the fall. I mean, I know we don't live in exactly that society anymore. And yet we have the power to create extended families. We have the power within ourselves to give up some of these ideas of control and instead foster ideas of cooperation and interdependence. And a great place to start is just to think, well, if I was going to be interdependent with some people, what do I bring to the table? What are my offers? 
Do you know what I mean? This used to be kind of taken for granted. Well, if you're the grandma that's living there, you, you help uh, take care of the kids. If, do you know what I mean? And now I think we get to pick out these things. And maybe that's the good news part of this is we get to figure out what we bring to the table and bring it joyously. We begin offering our, our services, whatever they might be, whether it's babysitting or, or cooking, whether it's fixing the car or bringing the apples. I don't think we have too much of a need for blacksmiths anymore, but pretty much everything else we still need on this planet and you can be that person for someone else and that person can be something for you as well and we begin no longer thinking that every house on the block really has to have a set of all the tools or or a lawnmower we can begin thinking that the people in our immediate family maybe can share one car and not have five cars for five people we really can begin to that place where we work on things together. The other thing that I want to talk about beyond shared resources and beyond interdependence is really the importance of what we want out of life too. Because I think, you know, we focus on the things that we believe are going to bring us happiness. But I want to ask you, what really is happiness? In America, again, I think we have this idea that if we look a certain way, if we behave a certain way, if the qualities of our living meet certain standards in terms of the apartment or the house that we have, if we're driving the right kind of car, if we have the, the good job that includes the, the good benefits, if our, if our children are in a good school, well, when I get all those things, then I'll be happy. But you know what? I know people that have all that and more that are miserable, and I know people who have very little that are very happy. It isn't the stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's a famous saying that, that being rich isn't everything, but it's a comfortable way to, to become happy. And so I'm certainly not saying we should strive for being poor. I'm certainly not saying that, you know, that, that we'll be happier if we give up things. But what I truly believe is that happiness is the inside job. This was the essence of her song today, that happiness is right in here. And that the, the things that we should strive for is our ability to be and to do that light of the world that brings us happiness and brings happiness to other people. And I wanna, I'm going to ask you to indulge me in something a little different today. Because I also believe that we're also intimately connected to our happiness at all time, even when it doesn't seem like it. So indulge me in a short happiness meditation. That's what I'm calling it. So allow yourself to sit comfortably. And if you feel called, um, it, it might work better if you close your eyes. So just feel your mind and your body resting easily. You can allow yourself both to hear the sound of my voice and at the same time the rest of the world just fades a bit into the background. Know with me that you're safe and that you're whole always. So we're going to use our minds like a time machine. Using the recall of our memories, we have the power to go back in time to experience an earlier part of our lives. We can cast our minds back and pick up the thoughts, the sights, the sounds, even the feelings, just as though we're there right now. So today I'd like you to remember a time 
when you were extraordinarily happy. Use your mind to go back to this time, to this happy moment. It might be a time in childhood, a birthday party, or a special event. It might be a time in school when you felt particularly successful, or maybe as a teenager, the first time you fell in love. It could be a wedding day or the day a child was born. But you know what? It might simply be a day where everything seemed to go right from beginning to end, and the universe simply smiled down on you. So remember this time of extraordinary happiness. Recall what's going on in your mind. Who's with you, if anyone? At this moment of happiness, what do things look like? What are your surroundings? What was going on? And in particular, recall what you were feeling on this day. What does this particular version of happiness feel like? Is it joy? Is it sweetness? Is it bliss? Is it love? Is it satisfaction? And maybe it's a combination. What does it feel like? Feel this sensation again. Feel it in your heart, your mind, and your body. Amplify the feeling in your own heart and mind until it seems quite real. And now know with me that you can always experience this happiness. Your heart remembers. Your heart can recreate such happy feelings for your mind and your body always. And if you like, you can thank God for this memory of earlier happiness. So begin bringing your awareness back into the present time here in the sanctuary. Feel yourself once again resting easily in the chair. Become aware of the room around you, and when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So did I do anything extraordinary to you guys today? You did this thing of remembering happiness. You did this thing of feeling happiness. And, and you know what? I'll, I'll even one-up you, because when you experienced the first time you did it to yourself as well. No one really ever makes you feel anything that you don't have the willingness to bring forth in your own mind, in your own heart. So the, the feelings of happiness that you just experienced are just as real now as they were before, and you have the power to bring them forth in your life again. You know what it feels like, and in the same way that we just brought it up, what I know is you can and will do so again. Now, some of us will wait until the timing is right. Some of us will wait until, do you know what I mean, until the stars are in the right constellation and the, I don't know, maybe this week when the turkey dinner is laid out just right or, or maybe at our own potluck today when the, when the plate looks just perfect, that feeling will well up again. But I also know that you can do it beyond circumstances. I also know that each of us has the power in our own minds to bring up feelings, to choose to feel a certain way. And also, I know we have the power within us to reverse our feelings, that if we're waking up in a particularly bad mood, if something's not going right, we too can reduce, eliminate, and disperse that kind of energy as well. 
You know, I was listening to an interview the other day. Michelle Williams, the, the, the uh, current actress, uh, just finished a movie where she played Marilyn Monroe. And uh, the, the, the fellow interviewing her said, well, what was that like? You know, it must be really tough to, um, to put on, if you will, or, or to act out the life of someone so famous. There's probably no one on the planet that doesn't have their own idea of what Marilyn Monroe was like. And here, you had to do it to be evaluated or criticized by the planet. It's like, how did you do that? And Michelle Williams said, you know, it wasn't that hard. She said, I have a clear idea in my own head of what it's like when I'm feeling sexy. I have a clear idea in my own mind of what it's like when I'm feeling confident. And I have a clear idea in my own head of what it is to be admired. And she said, I can put those in my own head and whether I'm playing Marilyn Monroe or whether I'm going to the shopping market, that is what people will see because it's what I see. Now, I don't normally take a lot of spiritual guidance from actresses, but I want to tell you, this is pretty powerful. This is pretty powerful. We have the ability to be and to do all of those things that we imagine that we'd like to be and to do. We don't have to have them just be our imagination. To the degree that we can become those, degree, those things, the degree to which we can hold those feelings and ideas in our heart, it is us. We have become the thing we want. We, we will have the, the things we want to the degree that we can hold in our own mind what we want. The universe simply says yes. The universe rushes in to fill a void if anything is missing, if anything is lacking, if we hold it in our mind with some power and some conviction and some love. God says yes. So I'm going to leave you with just the smallest bit of homework um, this week, and then I want to end also with a lovely quote from Ernest Holmes from one of his early writings, the founder of Science of Mind. But first, the homework. So you had a little taste today of calling forth the emotion or the set of emotions that go with this idea of happiness. I would like you during this um, Thanksgiving holiday to do it once again. To, to find a spot, and, and it may be quite uh, spontaneous. Like I said, it might be just in the midst of your family, or it might be when the Thanksgiving table is laid out, and that's great. But I would also like you to give a try bringing feelings of happiness into your life for no good reason at all, because you deserve it. That'll be the reason, because you deserve it. Because you woke up and you thought, I'm going to be happy today. Now, what does that feel like again? And if, if you want to use my trick, it's okay. It's not, it's not a trick that, that, that like you can't use. If you need to cast your mind back to a happy time and then bring it forward again, that's fine. But with a little practice, what I know is you can choose. You can begin to choose accepting your good, your love, your life, your joy, right where you are, without seeking it outside of yourself, without having other people uh, prove it, without having the need of all the ducks being lined up and the stars being in the right constellation. I believe that you can choose happiness. And with a little practice this week, let's give it a go. Are we game for it?
Okay, all right. So that's your homework. Uh, let me just close then with a thought that Ernest Holmes had in back in 19, uh, er, well, before 1967, the book was published then. He said, you are united with everything. You are one with the eternal light itself. The presence of spirit within you blesses everyone you meet. It tends to heal everything that you touch, and it tends to bring gladness into the life of everyone that you contact. Therefore, you are a blessing always. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It connects everything. I call it God. You can call it really life itself. You could call it um, the connectedness of all things. You could call it uh, Quan Yin. Uh, whatever great tradition you come from, know that it truly is the light and the love and the connectedness of all things. And so this God I know is present in this room, it's present in my life, it's present in the lives of every person here, and it wants happiness. It is that thing within each person here that yearns for and accepts the good life. And so for this day and each following day, I know that there's a greater awareness of the ability of the people in this room to accept love in their lives, to accept more joy in their lives, to, to feel that abundance, to feel that connectedness. This is the nature of us being a part of the infinite. And I am simply grateful for this, grateful to be here, grateful for the lovely Thanksgiving uh, repast that we're going to enjoy, grateful for life. I just let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you.